Hello, everyone. This is Patrick Ridgel. And once again, I'm here with Transamerica Asset Management Chief Investment Officer, Tom Wall. Tom, welcome back. Thanks, Patrick. Nice to be here today. So a lot has happened since our last chat, and, and you've just written a new piece. It's entitled, March Begins with Market Battle, Stronger Growth Versus Higher Interest Rates. That's right. Uh, over the past month or so, we've seen a quite meaningful upward move in longer-term interest rates and some emerging concerns about something we have not seen much of in recent years, inflation. And those are two developments uh -huh. the markets are grappling with that were not on the landscape when the year began. So, Tom, I want to quote one of the opening lines from this piece. In the first paragraph, you say, this environment personifies the inherent contradictions often facing investors. Once a given set of market worries begin to subside, a new set quickly emerges, often driven by reconciliation of the previous ones. Sort of like a broken down car that once repaired drives too fast. That's an interesting way to put that. Uh, yes, and that kind of fits into the internal battle I see going on within the markets right now. We're okay. looking at higher than previously expected economic and corporate earnings growth, and the market should like that. But mm. as a result of that, we now have rising long-term interest rates and at least some, albeit yet to be determined, risk of modestly higher inflation. And the markets don't like that. So I expect we'll see some tug of war over the next few months. Which one wins out? Uh, I believe the former. Higher growth, both in the economy and on company income statements, should ultimately prove more beneficial for investors than the higher interest rates and potential inflation that could result from that higher growth. Okay. However, that's not to say there won't be some back and forth between these two forces. And mm -hmm. that's what's so interesting about where we are right now. It's often said that markets climb a wall of worry. Mm -hmm. Markets have just finished climbing perhaps the biggest wall of worries in more than a generation over this past year. And upon doing so, we now have a new wall with some new work. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about those. Yes. Uh, the two I's, interest rates and inflation. Mm -hmm. One is happening right now and the other is being feared for some time in the year ahead. So interest rates first. Um, quite a move we've seen in the past couple of months at the long end of the yield curve. Yes, Patrick. A lot of the confidence and comfort investors have felt over the past year has come from a historically low short-term interest rate environment and a highly accommodative Federal Reserve. And that's still in place. There's no sign the Fed is going to waver from its 0% lower bound the Fed funds rate anytime soon. But as we know, the Fed really only controls short-term interest rates and the markets dictate longer-term rates and that's where we've seen quite a rise. Just okay. to put this in real numbers, the 10-year Treasury yield, probably the most widely followed long-term rate, closed out the week of March 5th at 1.58%. That's up more than 60 basis points from its 0.93% level when the year began, and is up more than a full percent from last August when it reached its record closing low of just 0.52%. And as of a year ago at this time, you might recall, this very week last year, there was tremendous downward pressure on rates as everyone was realizing just how bad COVID-19 was going to be and how far the Fed was willing to go. And on March mm -hmm. 9th of last year, the 10-year yield reached an intraday all-time low of just 0.19%. 
0.31%. So this recent move is really quite head-turning, at least from the perspective of these historically suppressed levels investors have sort of become used to. How much higher do you see these longer-term rates going? Uh, I think we could likely see the 10-year Treasury yield challenge 2% at some point later this year. And if so, that would be its highest level since the summer of 2019. Yeah. And as we know, markets you know typically have a more difficult time with higher long-term interest rates, historically speaking, at least. That's right. Uh, but here we have to talk about what is the most important aspect of this recent rate rise. And that's not just how much rates have been rising, but why they are rising. And I think for the most part, they're rising for some pretty favorable reasons. Those being? Uh, well, first, Patrick, the economy appears to be recovering much, much faster than expected, even just a few months ago uh, when the year started. Okay. Just in these past several weeks, we have seen a big pickup in some pretty important metrics, not only in this past employment report showing an additional 379,000 jobs added to the economy. That's a big number, although we do have a lot of ground to make up on this front. But still, mm -hmm. some other measures such as consumer spending and household savings are inferring we have a lot of pent up demand ready to go. But look, I, I won't bury the lead much longer here. We could be looking at something close to high single-digit annualized GDP growth in this first quarter. At least that's where the Atlanta Fed forecast is right now. They're at about 8% growth. Yeah. And that's up from most estimates of only barely positive, something like 1% to 2% when the year began. That That's amazing. It, it is. Now, that 8% forecast by the Atlanta Fed is, of course, subject to a lot of adjustments mm -hmm. between now and the first official advanced estimate coming out in late April from the Bureau of Economic Analysis. But the broader point here is we could be looking at a complete recovery from last year's recession, at least from an aggregate GDP perspective, sometime in the second half of this year. Patrick, remember mm. just last summer, most were saying we wouldn't get back to pre-virus aggregate GDP until sometime in 2022 or even 2023. And when you mm -hmm. start to look at the reopening of the economy plus the additional $1.9 trillion in fiscal stimulus just passed by Congress and the continuing vaccine distribution, which is pretty much just now really starting to ramp up, I mm -hmm. mean, you start to put all this together and we could be looking at calendar year 2021 annualized GDP growth in the range of about 7%. Pretty soon, I think we'll be retiring those two words we keep hearing about, quote unquote, economic recovery, and once again, replacing them with the words uh, economic expansion. Okay. So when you think about this economic turnaround, this blistering pace we seem to be on and compare it to the cataclysmically horrendous conditions of this time last year, mm -hmm. and you then take into account a 100 basis point increase in the 10-year yield, well, I think most people would take that trade-off. Good point. But of course, we're looking forward and we have to deal with these new rates as they stand right now. And Tom, you've often talked about how long-term interest rates are a key component of determining appropriate stock valuations. So is this new level of rates impacting your view of the equity markets? Uh, great question, Patrick. Like you said, we've come a long way in a very short time and stock prices and longer-term interest rates now reflect that. So where from here? And I think there's a really important component potentially impacting stock prices 
we have to remember to keep in the mix, and that's corporate earnings growth. Like GDP, I think we're looking at more than a complete recovery in overall bottom line corporate profitability by the end of this year, as defined by underlying S&P 500 company operating earnings. I mean, right now, according to FactSet Earnings Insight, a publication tracking analyst estimates for individual S&P 500 companies, we're potentially looking at aggregate operating earnings growth north of 20% for 2021, and that trend also appears to have upward momentum to it. And as you said, we like to look at those earnings as a yield on current stock prices and subtract out the long-term risk-free rate, that 10-year Treasury yield we're talking so much about, and Mm -hmm. see where that differential compares to historical levels. And right now, that differential is still looking pretty attractive. So, Patrick, We've got parallel tracks here on stock valuation, so to speak, rising long-term rates and rising earnings. And they look to be, for the most part, keeping pace with one another right now. So we still like the broader stock market, even with these higher rates. Now, Tom, you mentioned the fiscal stimulus from Congress a few minutes ago. What, What role is that playing in rates moving higher? A very meaningful one, in my opinion. Now, bear in mind, we could have a really hot economy between now and the end of the year, driven in large part by what's referred to as, quote unquote, base effects, Mm -hmm. as we're coming off those really depressed levels of last year. So when we're talking about potentially 7% or so calendar year GDP growth, that, of course, is not a long-term pace by any means. But still... This could be a torrid several months of economic activity. And when you toss a couple of trillion dollars of fiscal stimulus into that mix, uh, targeted at direct cash payments to individuals and families and assistance to local governments and small businesses, well, the concern is that really could heat things up to a scorching level. Now, don't get me wrong here. This $1.9 trillion in stimulus from Congress is desperately needed by a lot of people in small businesses. We're still about 10 million jobs short of when the pandemic began, and small business closures are now, unfortunately, being measured in the hundreds of thousands. Mm -hmm. So this stimulus is definitely needed, and I believe it will have a favorable long-term impact on the economy and stock prices. However, in the short term, one of the concerns is that combined with an already heating up economy, you could start to see some reemergence of something we have not seen in quite some time, rising inflation. Yes, let's talk about that now. Now, you mentioned earlier there are good reasons for long-term interest rates rising, but inflation isn't one of them. If if rates are rising because of inflationary fears, that's, that's not good for the markets, is it? Uh, No, it's not. In isolation, it's definitely not. And this is something investors are going to have to watch closely. But remember, we're still at historically very low inflation rates. The Fed's long-term target on inflation is 2%, and we've been running below that for the better part of a decade. Mm -hmm. So at some point, inflation is bound to rise closer to historic averages. Uh, If you go back a century or so, inflation has averaged about 3% annualized. So we've been more than a third off of that rate for more than 10 years. Given the rate of economic growth uh, we could experience in this next year and the additional $1.9 trillion being pumped into the economy and the Federal Reserve's continued monetary stimulus in the form of zero short-term rates and still about $120 billion in monthly open market uh, 
bond purchases. I think we'd all be naive if we didn't think at, if we didn't at least recognize the risk that inflation could pick up to some degree in the next year or so. And what might a pickup of inflation mean for the stock and bond markets? Well, in and of itself, rising inflation isn't good for stocks and bonds simply because it erodes the value of future interest and dividend payments as well as the future uh, as well as the future value of overall corporate earnings. It can also create a more difficult competitive environment for companies because their cost of goods and other expenses, of course, go up, squeezing profitability. And from a monetary policy standpoint, ongoing inflation, of course, typically results in tightening by the Federal Reserve and higher interest rates. Uh, Patrick, I'm old enough to remember the summer of 1981 when, uh, in addition to Raiders of the Lost Ark at the theaters and Betty Davis eyes on the radio, we also saw then Fed Chairman Paul Volcker take the Fed funds rate up to 20 percent in order to crack 13 percent inflation. It was a bold move and pretty much saved an entire generation from economic ruin. But at the time, it was uh, more than a bit painful. Yeah, I would think so. Uh, but but putting that extreme historical example aside, and, and just to be clear, when we're talking about potential inflation, we're not talking about anything close to the 1970s, early 1980s inflation. Sure. So I think at this point, we have to keep a little perspective if we do see inflation move up above the Fed's target. And even if it were to reach about 3% or slightly higher, this very well could be a transitory type effect. And remember, last summer, the Fed also communicated more of a longer-term policy approach to inflation in that they would likely let inflation run above target for a sustained time frame before taking action given how long it's been running below target this past decade. So it's sort of a symmetrical type approach. Wait and see if it's here to stay before raising rates. Now, would the market like inflation rising to 3% over the next year? Probably not in the short term. But remember, some level of inflation can still be advantageous for the economy. And there have been more than a few times over the past several years when we've been worried about not enough inflation or the prospect of deflation. Mm -hmm. So if we do see some rise in consumer prices closer to longer-term historical averages, that would not necessarily be all that bad, in my opinion, provided interest rates don't spike too much in the process. But admittedly, that relationship, long-term interest rates to prospective future inflation, is one the markets have been very quickly refocusing on over these past several weeks. And along those lines, Chairman Powell has some public comments that kind of stirred up the market some. Uh, yes. On March 4th, he made pretty much his first acknowledgement that at least the concept of quote-unquote transient inflation was something we could see in the year ahead. And here, Chairman Powell referred again to those quote-unquote base effects in the economy, the dramatic increase in rapid comeback from last year's depressed levels. He also did say that he expects any rise of inflation to be temporary in nature and not requiring of Fed actions. In other words, no rate increases as he sees it now. And that any rate increases would have to be the result of the economy reaching full employment. And we're at least 10 million jobs away from that right now. And that inflation, as measured by the Fed's preferred metric of personal consumption expenditures, would have to remain above 2% for some sustained period of time. None of these of which he sees occurring in the next year. Sounds reassuring. 
Well, Patrick, one of the market realities we've come to live by in recent years has been, no matter what a Fed chairman says, it can never be reassuring enough. <laughs> I guess not. So I think what unnerved the markets about Chairman Powell's commentary was a few things. First, that he acknowledged potential upcoming inflationary pressures. pressures. That in itself was something new. Uh, even if it was in the context of being, quote unquote, temporary and not likely to result in Fed policy action, it was still a topic worthy of his comments, which in terms of where inflation has been on the Fed's docket, well, this was clearly something new. Uh, second, it played into the whole Fed timeline that the market has been so focused on for the past year. For several months now, the ongoing expectation has been the Fed won't raise rates until at least 2023 and will remain engaging in open market, large-scale asset purchases of $120 billion per month, at least in the 2022. Okay. Uh, and by the way, Chairman Powell has reiterated that timeline in all his public commentary, including on March 4th. But still, the mere acknowledgement that rising inflation, perhaps above the Fed's 2% target, temporary or not, that that could be on the horizon, well, you can argue that should not impact this timeline negatively, an argument I would concur with, but you can't argue that rising inflation will reiterate or further confirm that timeline. Hence, the market reacted to what could be a slightly higher degree of uncertainty pertaining to, pertaining to benign inflation in the Fed's monetary policy timeline. Okay. I think all of this just shows how sensitive the market can be to the topic of inflation, uh, which just has not been on the radar as a real risk uh, to the market in recent years. So what's your overall take on that risk? Yeah, I, I think inflationary scares may pop up at various times going forward, but I'm not viewing it as a meaningful long-term risk based on what we're seeing right now. I think any inflationary increases in the next year or so will likely be within reason. Uh, we've been below historical averages for so many years now that if we do move above 2%, it could actually wind up being structurally advantageous to the economy. Uh, I mean, after that, we'll have to see. And no question, uh, the prospect of higher inflation will become a bigger part of market discussions going forward. But if the economy continues to grow and the Fed remains as accommodative as we believe they will and have continued to express and corporate earnings growth rises as we expect and this couple trillion dollars of more fiscal stimulus gets out to those who get most, then some increase of inflation and higher long-term rates should be considered within that mix. And I think the net combination continues to look favorable for the long term. Okay. Now, Tom, I want to talk some about some of the other points you mentioned in your latest paper. You mentioned the increased rate of vaccine distribution and the impact that could have on the economy between now and year end. Uh, yes, Patrick. And I don't think that point can be overstated. The big event here has been the recent approval and immediate distribution of a third vaccine at the end of February. Up until that point, we had two vaccines in circulation developed by Pfizer and Moderna, and both of them were a two-dose regimen. The new vaccine developed by Johnson & Johnson is a one-dose treatment. So it has the potential to substantially increase capacity and the total number of people being vaccinated, which is what we'll probably be seeing in the next few months. 
It's also important to realize that most of the earlier estimates pertaining to vaccine distribution up until a few weeks ago were probably understated because they may not have included the new Johnson & Johnson one-dose vaccine, which hadn't been approved yet. So look for vaccine administration to ramp up considerably between now and the beginning of the summer. And with that, perhaps further reopening of the economy, higher levels of consumer confidence, and more economic activity. Tom, you also mentioned what could be short-term price risk in stocks, which you also call correction risk, the risk of about a 10% or more decline in stocks off the most recent February record highs. Is this risk also being driven by higher interest rates and the threat of inflation? Yes. And, and first, I should probably be clear that we continue to have a favorable long-term outlook on stocks. We maintain our year-end 2021 price target on the S&P 500 of 4,200. But that said, the rise in longer-term rates could still contribute to short-term stock price risk. As we have mentioned in previous pieces, the upward move in the major equity indexes since last March has been nothing short of historically breathtaking, as can be seen in the total return of the S&P 500 from March 23rd, 2020 to February 11, 2021, of better than 80%. Following such fast and furious appreciation in such a short time, regardless of the rationale of which we see mostly as valid, it would still be naive in our opinion to believe that the risk of a 10% correction off this most recent February top is not currently running high. History tells okay. us that it is. And this recent upshot in rates only reiterates that, in my opinion. Okay. However, should we see such a downward move, we would likely view it as a strong buying opportunity for investors. Okay, now let's talk about market leadership for a minute. You mentioned this current shift in the long-term interest rates as being more favorable for value stocks rather than growth. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Uh, yes. You might recall we said in our 2021 market outlook a few months back that we thought the year ahead would play stronger for value stocks. And that's certainly what we've been seeing through these first few months. And the rise in longer term rates, I think, has played a role in this for a few reasons. First, just mathematically speaking, higher long term rates are less favorable to the present value of higher earnings levels for growth stocks further out in the future than for higher interim dividend payments often found in value stocks. Okay. Second, these higher rates have also resulted in a steepening of the yield curve. Right now, we're at about a 1.4% differential in yields between the two-year and 10-year treasuries, and that's the highest this slope has been since the fourth quarter of 2015. Okay. That curve steepening is good for banks and other financial institutions, which comprise a decent portion of the value stock universe. And finally, these higher rates are, as we said earlier, indicative of stronger than anticipated and above-trend economic growth. And that environment has historically been favorable to value stocks based on cyclicality and a rising tide impact. The stronger economy is also being based on a reopening of the economy, coming in large part from wider vaccine distribution. And this could also result in changes in consumer behaviors, more favorable for value stocks and less favorable for those quote unquote stay at home technology stocks that have done so well during the pandemic. Mm. So we could continue to see a rotation from growth into value in this regard. 
And as we said at the onset of the year, growth stocks have materially outperformed value stocks for more than a decade now. And the factors we just mentioned are likely to create a meaningful regression to the mean for value stocks versus growth stocks. And I think that's what we've been seeing so far this year and could continue to see in the months ahead. So, Tom, and sort of wrapping everything up, how would you summarize the overall current environment for investors right now, given all we've talked about today and all that's happened in these recent weeks? Well, we, we, we've got more than a few moving targets right now. So I think it's important to take a step back and net everything out. We now have the economy growing much faster than we thought it would just a few months ago. So that's mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Same thing for the pace of corporate earnings growth. Also good. There's $1.9 trillion in fiscal stimulus seem to be disseminated into the economy and getting to those who need it most. Also very good. The Fed is still looking to stay accommodative, and Chairman Powell has reiterated current expectations regarding short-term rates and open market activity. That's still good. And the vaccines are getting out to the public faster and with more capacity, which is really the best thing of all. Yeah. Then on the flip side, you have Longer-term interest rates on a pretty fast and furious increase, and while still within historically low ranges, this is definitely a new market concern. And seeds are now planted for at least some risk of higher inflation moving above the Fed's long-term target, likely temporary in nature, but nonetheless now formally acknowledged by the Fed chairman, also a new market concern. Then you also have the short-term risk of a correction, which of course is only to be expected given the move we've had over the past year, but that's being exacerbated by these other two concerns. So in netting these all out, I see a very favorable long-term dynamics that given the immense economic and market improvements since this time last year have created some short to intermediate term market concerns. But I'll take that trade off. And I think a year from now, stock prices will be higher. Hmm. Excellent summary, Tom. And as usual, we've covered some great stuff today. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Patrick. Nice to be with you today, and I'll look forward to our next chat. Definitely. Have a good day. Investments are subject to market risk, including the loss of principal. Asset classes or investment strategies described may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance does not guarantee future results. The information included in this podcast should not be construed as investment advice or a recommendation for the purchase or sale of any security. This material contains general information only on investment matters. It should not be considered as a comprehensive statement on any matter and should not be relied upon as such. The information does not take into account any investor's investment objectives, particular needs, or financial situation. The value of any investment may fluctuate. This information has been developed by Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated and may incorporate third-party data, text, images, and other content to be deemed reliable. Comments and general market-related projections are based on information available at the time of writing and believed to be accurate, are for informational purposes only, are not intended as individual or specific advice, may not represent the opinions of the entire firm, and may not be relied upon for future investing. Investors are advised to consult with their investment professional about their specific financial needs and goals before making any investment decisions. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused substantial market disruption and dislocation around the world, including the U.S. Economies and financial markets throughout the world are increasingly interconnected. Economic, financial, or political events, trading and tariff arrangements, terrorism, technology and data interruptions, natural disasters, and other circumstances in one or more countries or regions could be highly disruptive to and have profound impacts on global economies or markets. Fixed income investing is subject to credit rate risk, interest rate risk, and inflation risk. Credit risk is the risk that the issuer of a bond won't meet their payments. Inflation risk is the risk that inflation could outpace a bond's interest income. Interest rate risk is the risk that fluctuations in interest rates will affect the price of a bond. 
Investing in floating rate loans may be subject to greater volatility and increased risks. Equities are subject to market risk, meaning that stock prices in general may decline over short or extended periods of time. Investments in global and or international markets involve risks not associated with U.S. markets, such as currency fluctuations, adverse social and political developments, and the relatively small size and lesser liquidity of some markets. These risks may be greater in emerging markets. Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated is an SEC-registered investment advisor. The funds advised and sponsored by Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated include Transamerica Funds, Transamerica Series Trust, and Delta Shares Exchange Traded Funds. Transamerica Asset Management Incorporated is an indirect, wholly-owned subsidiary of Aegon NV, an international life insurance, pension, and asset management company. 265613